let you know we've been in a series for the last few weeks uh, entitled uh, Rise of the Sons of God. Rise of the Sons of God. This is powerful. This is part number four. So if you haven't heard part one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, if you haven't heard part one, two, three, make sure you go back and, and hear that. I believe it's going to bless you richly. All right, so this is part number four. This series comes with a confession. And of course, I'm sorry, online community. Hello, guys. We love you, Kingdom Rock. Let's put our hands together and bless our online community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wherever you are from all around the world, we just celebrate you and we thank you for being a part of this service. We are back in the house of God today. Uh, it is the Lord's will that we do so after 12 weeks. And I believe that uh, today's word will richly bless and inspire you. All right, let's go ahead and go with our confession. Praise the Lord with our confession. Are we ready with confession? All right, well, I'll say it and then you guys just say it after me, okay? Let's go. Uh, I am a born again believer. I choose to be a disciple, a devoted follower of Christ. Therefore, I live in his power and authority. I choose to walk in with and through the Holy Spirit to manifest Father's purpose and plans in the earth. I am covered by the blood of Jesus, surrounded by holy angels, and the atmosphere of heaven fills every space I occupy. I am a son of God. Now, as I told you before, the, the, the word or the title son of God does not denote gender, does not denote gender. Uh, it is a title. Uh, it's a title of maturity when God has moved you from or you, you've actually allowed him to take you from a babe, the status of a babe or a child, on up into full, being a full-blown child of God, a full-blown son of God, being mature, being mature, walking like Christ. Hallelujah. So in this day and hour, this is what God's doing. And I can tell you this prophetically. He's raising up his body. He is raising up his body, and he is also telling us to be ready because he is coming soon for his church. Hallelujah. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about that. Jesus is coming for his church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I asked the, ask the, uh, ask the Lord for a sign. Lord, let me or give me a confirming word. And I'm telling you, when Minister Belinda got up this morning and spoke that, read uh, Matthew 24, was it Matthew 24? Yeah, that just confirmed it all together, that Jesus Christ is soon to come for his church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And you don't want to be a second load Christian. You want to go on the first load. Hallelujah. Amen. When the Lord Jesus comes back for his church, you want to be gone with him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's going to be a party. We'll talk a little bit about that party uh, as we go on today. So let me tell you something that I heard this morning, James, this morning. I can really say that now people are actually here. James, let me tell you, uh, when I was getting out of bed this morning, I mean, really before I got out of bed, you know, you know you're, you're, you're waking up and you're sort of going back and forth, trying to get out of bed. The bed feels so good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Lisa know what I'm talking about. Uh, so as I'm 
Just about to put one foot out of the bed. You know what I'm talking about, Alex? Just as I'm about to put foot out of the bed, I heard the Lord speak to me. I know it's him because I'm thinking about trying to stay in the bed, but I got to get up. And I heard his voice. And this is what I heard. I heard, you must love people the way they love you. I said, huh? And then I heard, no, this is not the way. Then I heard this. You must love people the way I love you. This is the way. This is the way. The first, the first uh, words that I heard were uh, the, mindset of the, the mindset of the culture. You love me, and I'll love you. I'll love you the way you love me. You want my respect, then you respect me. That's the mindset of the culture, but that's not the mindset of Christ. That is not the mindset of a son of God. Hallelujah. The Bible says it clearly. Let's look at this in John 13, verses 30, uh, 34 and 35. The Lord says here, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, how? As I have loved you, that ye love, rather, that ye also love one another. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have what? Love one to another. Hallelujah. So the world says, you treat me right, I'll treat you right. You do me right, I'll do you right. But that's not what Jesus says. Hallelujah. That there are two minds in operation today in this culture. One wants to drag you down with it. You hate me and I'm going to hate on you. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not the culture of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Remember, Jesus told us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. The atmosphere of heaven is to surround us. And the atmosphere of heaven is one of love. Hallelujah. God didn't wait for you to love him before he loved you. He loved you from the very beginning. Hallelujah. His love for you is not dependent on how good you've been or, or what you've done. No, he loves you, period. You know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved you while you were still yet in sin. So again, the culture says, culture says, I will love you the way you love me. You treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. And it sounds right to the natural man, but it is foolish, hellish, and demonic. That is not what Jesus says. And that type of thinking will keep this nation and this world in the same spot that it's in. It waits on other people to act. And as long as you always wait on other people to act, there'll be no change. But when you decide, I will act as Jesus said, I will do as Jesus did, I will love you despite what you say. I will respect you despite what you say. Then here comes a change, a lasting change. But if you only mimic the culture, there's never going to be a change. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise Jesus. All right, John 1, let's go back in this John 1, verses 10 through 13. I, I feel like a smoky bandit again. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Something, something, run, old bandit, run. Some of y'all know that. Okay, well, all right. Well, maybe too young, I don't know. All right, here we go. John 1, verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. The Lord says here, 
He was in the world, talking about Jesus. Uh, well, the Bible says here, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Verse 11, and, and uh, verse 11 says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Verse 12, but as many as received him, as many as received him, have you received him? As many as received him to them gave he what? Power to become the sons of God. Who did he give this to? Many as received him. It goes on further to describe, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the Lord says, now there are two types of people here that this verse talks about. This verse talks about the world as a whole, world as a whole. There are people who have not received him. God didn't say, I give them this power, this choice. He said he gave this choice or this power to become the sons of God to as, to as many as received him and believed on his name, right? He's not talking to the world. He's talking to those who have believed him and received him. Didn't we see that? To as many as believed him and received him, gave he, gave he them power to become sons of God, right? So he's talking to, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to those who have become born of God, born again. And from that group, he says, do you guys want to become sons of God? Got that? All right. Look at the word uh, power and become for a moment. The word power means authority, right? It means leave or permission, permission, power of choice, Liberty of doing as one pleases. So the word power there means permission. God said, I give you permission or I give you the choice. You can choose. Now, again, he's giving this choice not to the world. He's not and he's given it, but he's given the choice to those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. He says to them, I give you the choice. Do you want to become more than what you are? Do you want to step up or you can stay where you are? Can you see that from those verses? All right. The word become means uh, to come into existence in the simplest form, meaning before that it didn't exist. I give you, God says simply, I give you this open door to become more. Some will choose and some will not choose but that is up to the individual person. I can tell you now, those who will choose to become more, those who will choose to become like Christ will live a powerful, will live a manifested life. Glory will fill their lives and God will use them greatly in these end times. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's the word I have to urge you today. Uh, this is the word that I feel in my spirit that to tell you that you must be ready. You must be ready. Jesus is coming back for his church. Hallelujah. And that is so good news, man. Jesus is coming back for his church. Hallelujah. But one would ask the reason, one would ask, why is he coming back for his church? And I'm going to give you one very strong reason that goes throughout, that is interwoven throughout all the scripture. I believe this one reason is, if it's not the main reason, it is one of the main reasons. Jesus is coming back for the church because we are betrothed to the church. Betrothed to the church. Betrothed, B-E, 
T-R-O-T-H-E-D. We are betrothed to the church. That's simply, he is betrothed to us, meaning uh, betrothed is a, uh, it's an old word which simply means engagement. He is engaged to us. Christ is espoused to the church. And I want to show you that. Now, uh, our engagement and the betrothal are really two different things from, from what Bible culture is and what our culture is today. Many people have gotten engaged today and decided, well, you know, I don't want to be engaged to you anymore. And I've seen a, a woman take the, the man's ring and throw it out. He paid thousands of dollars for that ring or at least got out of the Cracker Jack box. I don't know. But she took it and threw it and said, I don't, be, I don't want to marry you. And so it's done, it's done, it's done. Right? But not so in the case of a betrothal. A betrothal was more of a contract between families. Contract. Uh, and in this contract, every contract has consideration. If, we, if we're, if when you go, maybe when you sign a contract for a car or, or buy a house or something, there's always some sort of money on the table. Something has to change hands. Where even in a betrothal period with this contract, money had to change hands. It was called a diary. A, a, a dowry. This is where this is the price, uh, the bride's price, and uh, that had to be paid. Uh, so it was consideration for the contract. The contract was binding, much like marriage. It was binding. This was a binding engagement. In other words, if while they were in their engagement period or their betrothal period, if one of them slipped up, you know, and 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 went outside they actually had to have or had sexual relations with someone else during that engagement period or that betrothal period. They actually had to have a right of divorcement. They actually had to get divorced. It was that serious, even though they had not gone through the marriage ceremony because this was a binding contract. You couldn't just walk away from it. There had to be, it was legal and it was binding, and you actually had to, again, get some type of right of divorcement to sever it, to break it. Uh, one of the best ways to understand this is when Mary and Joseph, uh, of course, the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, Joseph's stepfather, right? Uh, during that period, when they, before they came together, they were betrothed. During that period, Mary comes up pregnant, right? Joseph say, hey, I know I didn't do it, Mary. You say, who? You say, God's the father? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Right? He didn't believe her at first, right? Until an angel spoke to her. Remember, it was the culture, custom that day, he could have had her stoned, publicly stoned. Publicly stoned. He could have, you know, done that. But he decided to put her away privately without her being publicly executed. Right? So, but the angel told him, uh, don't do it. That is God right there. That is the Christ that she's carrying. Everything's fine. Right? That was during the betrothal period, and the Bible says that he knew her not. They did not have sexual relations until after the Christ was born, of course, after they were officially married. All right. Now, in a betrothal period, um, this is much different from our culture today. Now, I'm going this way for a reason. I want you to, to go with me, okay? When a man selected, selected a bride... Uh, he had to, he would go possibly into the marketplace and he would see a group of women that were there, uh, chase virgins uh, in, a, in a group. And 
If he saw one that caught his eye, and maybe she caught his eye, ooh, hey, baby, you know, what have you, however they wanted to do it. Uh, they saw it, and then, of course, he invited her over from the group. He called her out from the group or from the world, so to speak. He chose her. The woman didn't choose the man, but the man had to choose her. He chose her, and then he invited her to come to his father's house, and there would be some type of marital contract uh, for that. All right? So he was always, the man always chose the woman and not vice versa. He had to accept her because he would become her covering. Does that make sense? All right. Now we say that because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. As a matter of fact, let's look at John 15. John 15, uh, let me read verses 16 through 19. John 15, verse 16 through 19. Now, this is what Jesus did. It says in John 15, verse 16 through 19, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordain you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. Look at verse number 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye uh, were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I, but I have what? Chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. All right. Jesus picked you out. Now, let this settle in your heart. You didn't pick him. He picked you. What does that mean? When Jesus picked you, he knew all about you. He knew your hangups and your hangdowns. He knew what you do, how you would act in your good days and on your bad days. He knew how, what sin you would have. And he knew all about that. He knew the gritty, gritty, worst stuff. And he knew the somewhat good stuff. He knew it all. He still picked you. Now, when a husband picks a bride, he is actually telling her in simplest form, all that I have, I'm willing to give to you. All that I have, I'm giving to you. You will inherit the Father's blessing along with me when there, when there is a bride. So we're going to see this actually in Scripture. Now, after, after she agrees, yes, yes, I will be your wife. You so, I love your muscles. Ooh. After she decides that she will be his bride, he then goes back, he then leaves her, leaves her, and he goes to prepare a place for her in his father's house, all right? Uh, wealthy fathers would have multiple dwellings on the, on the property, and so the husband, the bridegroom, as the scripture calls him, the bridegroom would have to go back and make a new dwelling place for them make an apartment, make a house, make a place for her because she would leave her father's house and come back with him. And she would be there. Uh, there. Now, let's look at that in uh, John 14, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, why are we going over this? Because Jesus is coming back and he's coming for his bride. 
He's coming for the one that he's engaged to. He's coming from coming for his betrothed. Remember, he picked you. You did not pick him. You pick, he picked you first. But you had to decide, yes, Lord, I receive you. Yes, I will be your bride. Yes, I will be your bride. Yes, I will be the one that will share in your inheritance. Now, I don't want it, again, let's not get caught up um, in flesh. You say, well, I'm a man. I'm not a bride. You're missing the whole thing altogether. It's not about flesh. Spirit has no gender. Are you hearing? Look at John 14, verses 1, uh, 2, and 3. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You see that? He's doing what a groom's supposed to do. You know, God bless the man that were married. Women don't have anywhere to put her. All right, verse 3. And if I go, if I go, did the Lord Jesus, did he go? Yes, died upon the cross, resurrected. He said, if I go, uh, so did he go? Yes, if I go and prepare a place for you, so there is a place for us now prepared. Hallelujah. There is, so you can say you already own real estate in heaven. Hallelujah. I already have a place in heaven. You can, you can say that. That is true. I already have a home in glory. Hallelujah. It's already there. Glory to God. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, now this place is prepared for who? It's prepared for you. It is your place. Hallelujah. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, what will happen? I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be, that there, you may be there also. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? So the Lord has prepared. So he has to come and get you because the place that he has prepared is ready for you. The place that he's been preparing for you is ready. And so he's coming back now. So what's going on with the climate now? What's going on with, with the current economy and, and all the riots and the, the viruses and the civil unrest and people are hating on each other? What's going on now? Well, now you're beginning to see what's already in the hearts of men that's been covered up for a while. God is allowing this to happen to expose the heart of men. You're really seeing what's in them. Because for so long, our culture in this world has said, God, we don't want you. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our money. We don't want you in our government. We don't want you. We don't want you. We want you to stay out. Matter of fact, when, if you come, I've been in many places and they've asked me to pray, but don't say the name of Jesus. Well, you shouldn't have called me to come and pray, first of all. Because I'm going to say his name. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't say his name. It's not politically correct to say the name of Jesus. And so other people would say, you know, we pray in the strong name of heaven. Amen. I've heard that. I've heard uh, we pray in your name. Amen. Who knows what you're praying about and who you're praying to. It's just assumed. It's just assumed. But in this climate, you are now seeing what's been buried in the hearts of men. You are now seeing that. As the fire has been turned up in our culture, in our world, what's coming up 
It's, it's a refiner's fire. And as gold is refined uh, and the heat is turned up, all of the dross, I believe it's called, all the impurities are rising to the surface. All this stuff has come because the society has rejected, has rejected Christ and have rejected him. And so this is what we're seeing. But after the dust settles, after the dust settles, the body of Christ will arise with power. We will arise with power because a lot of that uh, house cleaning had to start within the halls of the church. It had to start with us before it went, uh, before it spread abroad. Now, let me show you some other scriptures uh, today. Y'all with me today? You still with me? Hallelujah. So again, we are betrothed. uh, We are engaged to Christ. The church is. Wave at me if you understand that. All right, let me show you. Say, I don't believe that. Well, let me show you a few scriptures. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11 and chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2. And it says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You are espoused, you are engaged, you are betrothed to Christ. Uh, the church is. Now, let's look at another one. Let's look at Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 21 through 32. Probably won't read it all, but this talks about marital relations uh, between a husband and a wife and how it is important, uh, how, I mean, God blesses it because it is a picture of Christ and the church. This is one reason why God hates divorce because, because it says, now if God joined, put marriage together to be a relationship, to show a physical relationship or a physical sign in the earth of how Christ would be to the church. And this is why, again, God hates divorce because divorce says this may be, well, if I'm giving you this example and if we divorce it, separate it, God's saying, I will never do this to you. I will never do this to you. God will never give you a writ of divorcement. Are you understanding? Now, of course, we know there are extenuating circumstances and things of that nature, while the Lord will allow these things to be so. But in the very beginning of things, it was never meant to be so because the relationship that Christ has with the church, the marriage of the lamb, the church, the bride, and the lamb was meant to be something that would be forever. Make sense? Let me show you this. So our relationship as husband and wife should model that of the relationship of Christ and the church. Listen to this. Uh, Maybe this will help make it a little bit easier. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it to, present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And if anybody has any 
reservations of you thinking, is this, is this really talking about Christ in the church? Well, then verse 32 brings it home to you. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning, come on, Christ and the church. You see, so marriage, marriage is to look like, is to look like, and marriage truly is the most intimate relationship uh, that, that human beings can have, the most intimate relationship where you tell all of your secrets there and you give of yourself one to another. And the Lord says, so that should be, he's, he's taking that to show us of how we should be with him, the most intimate of relationships where there are no walls, no barriers, no secrets between the husband and the wife, no, no scheming, no conniving, no manipulating, no sneaking around, no hiding and all this stuff. All that sort of stuff just brings up walls that tears down the fabric of the marriage. But the Lord said, I'm choosing marriage. He has chosen marriage to show us how we should relate to him and how he relates to us. You can tell Jesus anything. Hallelujah. And the times when you have kept things from him, you felt uh, like uh, you felt ashamed and condemned. And these things we call sin. It's not the picture of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me show you one more. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9. As we're coming to a close today, Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the, help me, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself, what? Ready. And to her was granted that she would be arrayed with, uh, arrayed in uh, fine linen, white and clean. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Verse 9 says, and he said unto me, write, uh, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, uh, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, the Bible says that the bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? We can say the bride is the church, but again, not all the church is actually the bride because not all the, not all the church have agreed to step up. Not all the church has agreed to prepare yourself and be ready. That's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that you have to make. Now, as we get into this, and we're really coming to a close, if we go to, let's say, let's go to uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. We're going to pick up, on, pick up on this next time. But Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13, talks about the ten virgins. Anybody heard about the ten virgins? What, five foolish and five wise? This speaks about the church, the end-time church, when Jesus Christ comes back for his church. Now, again, we are betrothed to Christ, right? We are engaged to him. And um, he's already selected you and said, yes, I want you. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you've been in, been through. I know exactly your hang-ups. I know exactly the sin. I know all of it. I know all of it. And he says, I want you. It's just like somebody goes into um, um, uh, an old um, car lot or something, or maybe a junkyard, and they see this old 1957 Corvette or something. Ooh, ooh, I don't know. They see that, and they see it all rusted out, and they know it's in bad repair, but they say, yeah, I see what you can be. I choose you. 
You pick them out, and then, of course, she takes it back to the shop and begins to work on it and sand it and, and do all the motory things to it, tires and whatever else that has to be done to it, right? God said, I saw you. Jesus said, I saw you, and I picked you out, picked you out. And then he goes back to his father's house, and he prepares. Remember we said before that a price had to be paid for the bride, some sort of diary. But what price was given? Jesus gave his own life. He shed his innocent blood. He paid for you. The Bible says that you were bought with a price. That's plain out scripture. You were bought with a price. He purchased you. Hallelujah. He gave of his life. Remember, in consideration of a contract, every contract has to have some sort of consideration, some sort of money or some sort of exchange in order for it to be valid. Where Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Hallelujah, to bring you back to his father's house. Now, so Jesus has gone away to prepare the place. And I'm telling you, the place is prepared. And so now he's coming back to claim his bride. Now, it's the bride's responsibility to make herself ready, to make herself ready. She must be adorned. She must um, have on the jewels and the hair has got to be just right and, and perfume and smelling and all that stuff. As a matter of fact, when the bridegroom comes, he'll come with a crown on his head. And the bride, speaking now about Jewish marriages in the, uh, in the, um, in the Bible, in, in the historical Bible sense, the groom would have a crown on his head and the bride will have a crown on her head and she's ready for him, for him to appear. Now, if she is not ready, things will not go the way they should be. As a matter of fact, we see this in Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. One group was ready, but the other groups were not. That makes sense? And this is what we'll take up on next time, because those that were ready went in to the marriage feast, but the ones that were not ready were not able to go into the marriage feast. And it had a lot to do with oil, and it had a lot to do with light. Let me tell you this as we close out today. When the bridegroom would come to receive his bride, everyone should have had some sort of torch or lamp with them because it was dark. Uh, it was dark in those cities. And unless you had a light, unless you had a light, you couldn't find your way through the streets. Now, when the bride, of course, when the bridegroom came to receive his bride and if she was ready, she had light. And all those, all, all those that were invited to the wedding also had light. And it would be a procession of light going down the road. And they would be accompanied by music and, and dancing. It was a celebration as they left from the bride's house into the groom's house. It was celebration and dancing. But if you did not have light, you could not go. You had to have light in the, in the procession as you marched with the Lord, as you danced with him going up the road, and you also had to have light before you entered into his father's house. These are all biblical customs. This is what the Lord is telling them. And, and when the Lord said, that, said this to the Jews at this time, they all understood exactly what he was talking about. As he was talking about betrothal, betrothal period and, and all that, they all understood exactly what he was saying. Now, I'm giving you all this information today so that hopefully when we come back together next week, you'll have a better understanding of what you really mean to him, of why he put up with you so much, because he loves you so much. Amen. 
of the price that he had to pay for you. He's prepared a place for you. He's gone through tremendous expense for you. Uh, for you. And when the actual wedding does take place, the marriage supper of the lamb, it will be that time, eventually that time where the wedding will be consummated. Again, don't look at flesh. Hallelujah. Consummation simply means a coming together, a coming, a coming together, a sharing of assets, a sharing of one another. What you have is mine and what I have is yours. We are one. This is where the Bible says that he has raised us to be kings and priests and we will reign with him forever. Hallelujah. This is where he gives us official authority. Hallelujah. And we're reigning with him throughout eternity. Glory to God. We become one with him. Not only will we look like him, but we'll have also his authority. We'll have his power. We'll have his mind. And there are specific duties that he will call us to do in the hereafter. Hallelujah. So if you think that heaven is uh, we're going to sit on uh, clouds and uh, eat ice cream and play harps all day, uh, that's the wrong place. No, 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 no. There are there. You are actually being prepared now for your heavenly assignment. You're actually being prepared now for that time. Hallelujah. And we'll talk, I want to talk more about that uh, in the coming weeks. So I pray that you've heard the word of God, but I want you to know that you're definitely on his mind big time. And his return for the church is extremely soon. As he comes again, the climate is dark. And what better time to show forth the light of the procession than in darkness? Than in darkness. So the climate is being set. It is very dark in the society. It is very dark in the world. And he will come, the Bible says, and we'll read this later, at midnight the cry is made. At midnight in the darkest time the cry is made. And the light begins to shine. And we go forth to march with Jesus throughout the streets. That's a show of power and great authority. Hallelujah. As we march into our father's house. And once we get there, the door is shut. There's no waiting around for the rapture. Oh, Jesus, I'm not ready. Give me a little bit. Uh, no, he's coming and we're going. And you must be ready at that time. And I'm thankful that you will be ready at that time to be there and meet the Lord. Hallelujah. You do not want to be left behind. I'm going to tell you now, if you think it's bad now, you haven't seen it. It's going to get very bad. It's going to get very bad. So the Lord allows us now time to shake ourselves and realize where we are with him and agree with him because when he comes, we're going to have to be ready. So let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for this day. And Lord, I, I thank you for your word that was uh, spoken today. Father, I just pray that by your spirit that it has fallen into the heart of your people and, and it has been sown as great seed. And Lord, it will produce a harvest of change in our lives. Father, I pray that you will convict us if we're not in the right place where we need to be with you. And Lord, I pray that you would show us that. Show us, the, show us what's wrong so that we may repent. Show us what's wrong so that we can deal with it now while we have time. You are soon to come. And we bless you today. And we thank you for loving us even more than we love ourselves. We bless you today in Jesus' name.